We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. All right. Well, we're going to be in 1 Samuel this morning. So if you want to, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some at that table back there, or you can download an app probably. But 1 Samuel, it's toward the beginning, okay? So you see the, from the left side of my book there, that many pages, and there's that many left on the right side. So it's toward the beginning there. If you're like around flipping and you see 1 Kings or Chronicles, like keep Keep flipping around either direction. You'll find it eventually. It's around there. So uh, we're going to be 1 Samuel 16. While you're turning there, just kind of to catch us up to speed, because we haven't been preaching through this book of 1 Samuel at all. And so we don't often do this, but we're kind of diving into a story. And the reason we're doing that is because we're going through this season of Lent, which is a, a journey toward... Good Friday, and then ultimately Easter, right? And so we've been calling this a journey toward joy. And what Lent is, is it's a season of uh, praying, of fasting, and of giving, and really, though, of sitting in the wilderness, of recognizing that the world is not the way it should be. And we all feel that. We feel that in our everyday lives, don't we? And so we, we don't just put on a mask and put on a face and show up and be like, hey, I'm blessed, like everything's good, and pretend But actually, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are invited into being honest with the realities that we face. And Lent is a season of being honest with the realities of a broken world and being honest with the realities of even our broken selves, like that our sin, our own rebellion, our own selfishness is very much a part of the world being broken around us. And so Lent is a season of recognizing that and of recognizing that we are thirsting and longing for things to be made right. Just like Israel was thirsting and longing in the wilderness for 40 years to be brought into the promised land. And so as we journey through this, we're using something called the church calendar. Uh, No, it's not a calendar Missio keeps, but many people, maybe if you didn't grow up in liturgical churches or uh, if you grew up in a non-denominational church or not in church at all, maybe it's not familiar to you. Uh, But historically, uh, the larger church throughout the globe has had this thing called a church calendar. And what that does is it helps people throughout the year, kind of takes them through the story of scripture when it's used rightly. Uh, And so through this season of Lent, what it's doing, we're following along with it, is it's taking us through this journey. We started in the garden, if you remember, our first week of Lent. We started at what happened there in the garden when God made everything perfect and beautiful and good and right, and then humans rebelled against him. And they lost their authority as representatives of God in his kingdom, right? They had rulership and authority and dominion over his creation, and they lost that. And they lost their place, and they lost their... Uh, place in the garden. They, their relationship with one another got broken. Their relationship with God wasn't as close as it was before, although God would continue to pursue them. And so even though they were sent away from the garden, God continued to move toward humanity. And then we fast forwarded in that story when God came and he called one man, Abraham. And he said, hey, I want to do something through you. Not because you're great, Abraham, but because God is great. God is going to do something amazing through Abraham that would not just be good for Abraham and his own. It would actually be a blessing one day to all the world. And so through generation after generation out of this family that God gave to Abraham that became a nation, that 
one day these people would actually be a blessing to all the nations. And so we see uh, that a nation grows out of that called Israel. And then we saw them wandering in the wilderness, right? They were, they were thirsty and God provided for them. They were hungry and God provided for them. They were lost and God showed them where to go. And yet in their rebellion still, they end up hanging out in that wilderness for 40 years. And then God finally brings them into the land he had promised them. You're going to have your own land and you're going to be your own nation. And then they start saying, we want a king. We want a king. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But God finally relents and he gives them a king. And this king isn't very great. And so that's where we're going to pick up in the story today is they finally become their own people. They've gotten into their own land and they have a king. And something's still just not quite right. So in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to read the first 13 verses there. Just so you know, as, as we read, there's three main characters we're going to hear. Actually, there's four, really. Uh, one, his name is Saul. He's the current king. The other one is a guy named Samuel. He was a prophet of God's people. Uh, he was someone who God spoke to and said, go and tell this to the people so that they would know and they would hear my words. Uh, and then we're going to be introduced to another guy named Jesse, who has a lot of sons, and finally one of his sons named David. Verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, that's the prophet, how long are you going to mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, because I have selected a king from his sons. Samuel asked, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord answered, take a young cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem. When the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, do you come in peace? In peace, he replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shammah, but Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, could you imagine having that many kids? Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, he answered. But right now he's tending the sheep, Samuel told Jesse. Send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. Then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. 
This is God's word. Father, we ask that you would help us to enter into your story, into a true story, though this part of the story happened thousands of years before us across the other side of the world. God, we are invited to be a part of your story today. And so would you help us to have eyes to see, to have ears to hear, to have minds that comprehend. God, would you open up our hearts to receive what you would have for us today? God, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would be present with us, that you would minister to us, and that you would transform us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Anthony and Bethany were saying, Friday night we did a young adults thing, and we went through the whole story of Scripture from creation to restoration with these college-age students. Uh, But we started with, hey, we're we're going on the theme of story, and so Bethany started them with just kind of sharing some of our stories. And she did this thing called a story train. So one person shares a part of their story, just a small little snapshot, and another person has to connect their story to that. And so she started with a story about how one time she fell off of her bike. It was a bike, right? Fell off of her bike, and she hit her head, and she was blind temporarily for a while, like three hours or something. Couldn't see. And so the rest of the stories, they continue to go with this theme. Like I was surprised how many people had stories of temporary blindness or partial blindness or just stories of of bad sight happening for them, right? I've never been blind, fortunately. Although what was ironic about this is last week I woke up and I had like weird vision. Like I had a headache and everything in the bottom corners was really just dark and black. It was weird. And that lasted for like an hour and a half. I just drank a ton of water and lay there, and then it was fine after that. So I'm good. I'm good to go. But uh, this is a really odd thing. I do remember, though, when I first got glasses for the first time. Does anybody uh, wear glasses or has ever had glasses? Do you remember the first time you put glasses on and you're like, Trees have individual leaves, right? They're not just big green blobs like a cloud, but there's like little individual pieces to it, right? Like I could see the board in school. I was in fifth grade when this happened for me. And it was like suddenly I'm seeing the world in a whole different way. I also, by the way, decided I no longer liked the girl I thought I liked. (laughs) Found out another girl was pretty good looking though. I didn't know that, right? Like, it's amazing how things change when you can actually see. Like, life just totally changed for me. Uh, And so that's what we're seeing today is actually, this is a story about uh, people who can't see. They don't see well at all. But there's a God who sees. And this God who sees accurately also sees his people and keeps moving toward them. And he's a God who is helping to restore sight to those who do not see well. And so we heard about this man, Saul, but there's a little bit more of a backstory we didn't give with King Saul. King Saul, uh, he's the first king of Israel, right? And the reason he became king is because God's people, when they got into the land God promised them, they said, hey, we need a king to be like all the other nations. They were looking out and they were seeing all these other nations, all these other kingdoms, and how they did things. And they said, we need to be like that. We, we see how they're doing it, and we don't have a king of our own. Give us a king. And so they go to, to uh, Samuel, the prophet, and they're like, hey, we need a king. Set someone up for us. And Samuel's like, what do you, you don't need a king, right? 
what are you talking about? God is your king. And actually, he's upset. He goes to God, and he talks with God, and God says, hey, don't worry, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They have rejected me as their king. In fact, I think, uh, Patrick, I think we have the verse up there. We could throw that up there so we make sure we get this part of the story right. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Uh, the people, the elders of Israel, come to Samuel, and they say to him, look, you're old. Like, you're not going to be around forever, right? And not only that, like he, his sons were supposed to be prophets in his line, and they were not good dudes. And so they say, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us, the same as all the other nations have. And when they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong, so he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. Now, here's the thing. He's not telling Samuel, listen to the people because they're right. Listen to what he says here. Listen to the people and everything they said to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king, God says. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. What God's saying here is go ahead and listen to them, give them what they want, and let's see how they like it. Like hand them over to this thing that they're begging for. Time and time again, I brought them out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued them in the wilderness. Time and time again, they keep complaining against me. They keep complaining against the people I put in charge. And they keep worshiping other things and other gods and other people. So let them have it. So like if you are a parent or have ever been a parent in this room, you can maybe relate to this sentiment, right? It's like when, when a kid just keeps like asking for something, like, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you. You're like, fine, just go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. Let's see what happens when you start crying, right? I was just uh, listening to a friend who was telling a story of when he took his kid to the beach for the first time. And, you know, you put down the blanket and everything so the kid stays safe on the blanket. But then he crawled off and he got to the sand. And he's like, oh, this, this looks good. This feels good. So what do you see him do? He starts to put it toward his mouth. Doesn't taste good, right? You see his face change all of a sudden. Well, he thought that was the, it, the end of it, right? Like, okay, he's learned his lesson. Like, sand, no good in the mouth. And so he was taking him to a park a little bit after they came back from that trip. And he goes and he's playing in the sand and the same thing. Goes and sticks it back in his mouth again. Same face, same crying, same problem. Uh, but what he, what he did as a dad is he's like, all right, fine, you really want that sand, go ahead and put it in your mouth again. Like, you gotta learn somehow. Right? And so as parents, we might be able to understand a little bit of this. Is this really what you want? Go, go ahead, I'll let you have a little bit of it and find out how this is going to go for you. And God even tells Samuel, okay, go ahead and do this, but tell them this is what's going to happen when they get a king, a human king. He's going to take your land. He's going to take your, your women, right? And he's going to actually oppress you and enslave you the way the other nations have. Now we fast forward, they, they pick this guy named Saul, and what do you hear when God asks Samuel to go and select a king? Verse, th- or verse two, Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. This is the guy that Samuel anointed as their king a few chapters ago, to be like their protector, their hero, right? The one they begged for. How bad have things gotten in a couple chapters where now their king, he's saying, he's going to kill me if I do this. 
How bad have things gotten when Samuel goes into the town of Bethlehem and the elders are scared, they're trembling, and they go, do you come in peace? Like, this is the prophet of God. But he, he's been associated with their king. Their very first king, and things have already gone south really quickly, haven't they? But what they did is they saw someone who looked good as a king. Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He was tall. He, he was strong looking, right? He was good looking. Did I mention he was tall? Like this was said over and over again. This must be the king because he's taller than all of us. We got some tall people here at Missio for a small amount of people we have in the room. There's a lot of tall people here. And so we'd have to have like a, I don't know, arm wrestling competition for who gets to be king here. Maybe, oh, we should do like a high jump, right? Like see who could jump the highest. But that's the way they chose their king. God actually, he allows them to cast lots. It falls on Saul. See, he's just handing it over. You, you do what you want to do, right? But I know who you're looking for. You're looking for the tallest person among you who looks like, in your sight, he's going to be the strong warrior king you need. Well, guess what? This strong warrior king that they select, when they go looking for him, he's hiding. He's hiding amongst all their, their luggage and their baggage and their supplies. And they're like, where is he? And God's like, oh, he's there. Look over there. Like he tells Samuel to tell them where to look. Go get him. And they go and, and they bring him out and they make him king. This is how his kingship starts. Does this sound familiar at all? Like, and does this draw us back at all in the story? When God's people in the garden who were actually meant to be little king and queen over all of creation, with God being the true king, they were his representatives. They had dominion and authority over all things. But there was one thing that they wanted to have control and dominion and authority over that they didn't. They wanted the right to be able to tell what was good and not good for themselves. We don't need God to tell us that. And so they see something that looks good. It looks like it's going to give that for them. And they reach out and they take what doesn't belong to them. And after that happens, they go and they hide from each other. And they go and they hide from God. The God who actually was giving them authority and dominion. The God who actually was showing them the best way to live. He was seeing for them what was good and not good. And when he shows up, they run and they hide from him. And not only are they hiding from God, but they're hiding from the purpose he has for them. Now you got Saul. He's hiding. He's hiding from God. I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want this role that God's given me to have authority over. He's afraid, right? He's hiding from the purpose God has for him. And the people, they, they reach out and they see him and they take and they make him king who was not supposed to be king in the first place. And here's the thing, like maybe some of us, we feel like we, because of shame in our stories too, right? This is where that came from. The first two humans, out of shame, they hide. Saul, I don't know if it's just fear or if there's shame in there too. Like me, I can't be king, right? Who am I? And some of us, I think, maybe are hiding at times out of shame or fear or guilt. God sees you. He sees you. Then we get to the story about David and they're looking, Samuel's looking at all of Jesse's sons. He's like, it's gotta be this dude. Why? He's tall. 
right? He's strong looking. No, okay, maybe it's this next one, the next oldest. Yeah, he's, he's pretty tall too, right? <laughs> nope, it's not him. And they keep going down the line, seven of them. Seven sons. Now, if you remember in the story of creation, how many days were we told about? Seven days. Seven days. Six days of God creating. Seventh day, he rests, he settles in. Seven became this number that was associated with completion and wholeness for the Jewish people. And in a sense, we're told like, he sees all that Jesse has to offer and he's like, this isn't it. This isn't it. And what's really sad about this is there's an eighth son who is off in the fields. Now, some of my story, you guys, is like I'm the middle kid of a bunch of kids. There's like eight of us. And there would be times when they would forget me at the dinner table, right? Everyone else would have a plate of food in front of them, and I'm just sitting there like I was too quiet and ashamed to speak up, and so I just didn't eat for a little bit. Uh, I one time was playing soccer with my stepsister, We were on the same team. We were only two months apart. And she got picked up from practice and I got left. So there were lots of times where just in the household, it was like there was a lot of noise and chaos and I was just kind of in the corner all by myself there. So I feel like I was unseen a lot, right? But I can guarantee that if a prophet from God came to my dad and was like, one of your sons is going to be king over Arizona, bring them all in front of me, he would call all of us, including me, and go, here, here you go. It's probably not Chris, but just in case, you told me bring them all. One of my sons is going to be king. This is amazing. Let's see which one, right? David doesn't even get invited. One of your sons is going to be king, says the prophet of God. And he's like, just leave David out in the fields. Saul wasn't seen because he was hiding. David just wasn't seen because he was overlooked. And maybe some of you, you're not hiding, but you feel like you're unseen too because you just feel overlooked in life. And I want you to see like God sees you. God doesn't see the way people see. God sees you. And so God says, it's none of these seven It's like a complete no, right? Seven no's, a complete no. But the number eight, you know what the number eight would mean in their culture? It was a a number of new beginning, right? Because this week has finished with all seven days. Day number eight is a new day one. It was new beginning. He's like, surely this can't be all your sons because God said it's one of your sons. It's not these guys. And so God goes, ask him. And Jesse's like, yeah, there's, there's this kid. He's like, bring him. We're not going to eat until you bring him here. And so out of like, oh, I'm hungry. I guess I want to eat. Go get David, right? Bring him out here. And so David comes and God says, this is him. Now here's, here's something that gets a little bit messy. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Uh, I think this is me. I'm proposing that it gets lost in our translation a little bit, what happens here. Because you read this and you go, God doesn't look on the outside, he looks at the heart. Like you guys are looking to who should be king based off appearance, and that's not what God's looking at. And then we get to uh, this verse when David comes in front, right? 
And it says, verse 13, no, sorry, verse 12, Jesse sent for David. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. And that's the first thing and only thing you're told about David. And you're like, oh, that's, that's why he's king. That's a good looking dude. Yeah, sure, he's short, right? But there's some good looking short people out there, right? He's, he's good looking enough. We'll get over the height thing. And you're like, what's going on here? What, is, is God looking at the heart or on the outside? I don't, I'm confused, right? So we had to get to the original language to understand some of what's actually being said here. And when it says that he had beautiful eyes, that word beautiful is actually a word that just means right. He had right vision is another way that Hebrew language could be translated. He had right seeing. And then when it says a healthy, handsome appearance, that word healthy, actually a, a word that is often translated to is ruddy. Do you, any of you guys have that in your versions you're reading? Ruddy, which is like, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it actually can also be translated to red, which is interesting. Do you know what's interesting about that is the word Adam, Adam, the first man, uh, is translated to both earth and red. So that's just fascinating to me. I don't know what it means, but it's, it's kind of unique, right? Uh, so he's ruddy, he's, he's healthy, that's good. And then handsome appearance. That word handsome is actually this word tov. And if you guys remember when we've talked about this in creation, we've said when they see the tree of the knowledge of good and what often is called evil, those two words are tov and ra. Why do you translate in Genesis, this tree is not the tree of handsome and bad, right? No, it's good. And yet here we get this translated to, oh, he looks good, so he must be handsome. Because what happens is you get tov and then this word roi, which is clarity, vision, visibility. And so what, what that got translated to was good looking, Good looking. That's where we get handsome. So I totally get it. I understand why we have that in our translations now. But I think it actually got lost in translation. I think we're missing something because what we think good looking means is what I saw when I put those glasses on in fifth grade and I saw this girl. I was like, oh, okay. Different than I thought. Like that, she is good looking. <laughs> you know? that's, that's what we hear when we hear good looking. But it's actually this phrase, tove, good and then clarity of vision. He has right eyes and good seeing, which I think is much more in line with what we hear about David throughout the rest of the story, that he's a man after God's own heart. The God who sees the heart saw that this is a man who's going to see clearly what I desire. And he's going to pursue the things that I want for my people. You had your king. You saw and thought this is going to be what you want. And it ended up being very bad for you, just like what happened in the garden. But let me show you how to see clearly the difference between what's good and not good. I'll choose one for you who will help you see better. 
And all that sounds great. And it sounds like, man, the story's starting to take a turn for the good here, right? They're finally going to get a good king in there. Well, it's going to be a long time because this king, Saul, is trying to kill anybody who's threatening his power. And David is almost killed by him a bunch of times over the next several years. And David has to eventually go into hiding. And he doesn't become king for a long time. Then he finally becomes king. And let me tell you, he is the best king Israel ever has. But he dies eventually, right? And not only that, some of you are kind of feeling uncomfortable right now, hearing all this stuff about David, having a heart after God's, seeing the way God sees, because you know that's not the full story, right? Because you know that there comes a point even in David's life when he sees someone who's not his wife and he goes, that's good looking. And he reaches out and takes what does not belong to him as well. And he repeats the same pattern that the first man in the garden and all God's people throughout history have done over and over and over again. And he reaches and takes what doesn't belong to him. And not only does he take advantage of that woman in the process, but then to cover his tracks, he has her husband murdered so he doesn't get caught. And this is the best king in the history of Israel. What are we to do? Well, God told them, you're not rejecting Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. You really want a human king to rule over you? This is what's going to happen. And even with the best of them, it's not going to go well. We were designed to have God as our king, to have him be the one who tells us what's right and not right, what is tov and what is raw, what is good and what is bad for us. And as we keep going to him, for him to give us that clarity of vision to see well, then in his sight, we become his representative kings over his creation. We were called to be a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. That's what God tells Israel when they're in the wilderness. You're all going to be little kings and queens ruling over, but you're going to do it as you see how I see. You're going to do it as I lead you, right? But they say, no, 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 we want a human king like the rest of the nations. And it goes bad. Now listen, don't we do the same thing still today? I want my political party to rule. And when they're in control, things will be okay, right? I want want this person to be uh, the pastor. I want this person to be the boss at work. I, I want to be in power of my decisions in life. And yet, we actually have been called to mutually submit to one another and to look to God for his ways. And as he helps us to see more clearly, we all become a kingdom representation of him to the world around us. And so God finally gives them the king they actually need. And he even makes concessions. He's like, this is the way that you wanted it. I'm gonna give you a human king, but he's not gonna be like any other human you've ever known. Because God himself came in the flesh. This is what kingship should look like. This is what humanity should look like. And so Jesus was born in the line of David. 
He was born through that bloodline, through that family, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus becomes the ultimate king. And he doesn't become the king who, I'm going to take your land, I'm going to take your resources, I'm going to take your women, I'm going to take so that I could build my kingdom the way God said your human kings will do. Instead, Jesus actually gives everything over. He doesn't even get a crown until he's about to die, and it's a crown of thorns out of mockery. And they put a purple robe on him and say, look at this king, bow down and worship him in mockery. And he's lifted and elevated up, but not on a throne, but on wooden beams splintering into his skin as he's nailed to it. This king didn't come to take, he came to give everything so that we could see maybe more clearly once and for all. And though he goes into the darkness, on the third day he rises and people see him. The light of the world has shone. And he shows himself to over 500 eyewitnesses. And he says, now that you've seen, go and share this with others. And blessed are those even more who haven't seen me physically. Because we've seen him represented through his people. I want to close with this in Revelation 1. John gets a vision. This is one of Jesus' followers. He gets a vision of things to come. And he says that this is a vision straight from Jesus, right? And so we heard Samuel was a prophet from God. God would speak to him and say, speak this to the people. Uh, That continues. The spirit of God shows to John a vision. It says, share this with my people, with the church, right? But it's a vision from Jesus, the Christ, which that word means Messiah, the anointed king. Samuel went to anoint the head of David to become king. Jesus becomes the ultimate anointed king forever. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. This is the king above all kings. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood, and listen to this, made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you hear that? He is restoring our role as a kingdom of priests, as a royal nation, a royal people, as he is king over all of us. And so how can we live rightly? How can we see clearly? It's when we go to Jesus and we say, help me see, because I can't. Guide me. Show me what the next step is. As we look to the ways of God through the life of Jesus, through his word, through listening to his spirit, through being in community with brothers and sisters who are striving to follow him together, we see more clearly how to be his kingdom representatives here on earth. And we have that sight given to us because of the sacrifice of Jesus and the gift of his spirit given at his resurrection. And so that's what we're moving to through Lent. When we get to this moment of Easter, we remember the resurrection of Jesus, the power of the spirit that brings him back to life and then was given to his followers so that we too could see and so that we could live in Jesus's ways in ways that are tov, not raw. Amen.